Good afternoon, all the way from the Bay Area. Is that yes. right? California. Yes, yes. So we we we, we have um, uh, Dr. Jonathan Z. Butler, PhD, all the way from the Bay Area in California. You know, you you <laughs> just to move down, but you talked about uh, some things that generating some thoughts inside my head, like. Okay, so you, you know, rather than give somebody fish, mm. how about we teach them how to fish? Right. That, right. That, that's number one, you know, because as you said that, you know, some of the recipients of your program, you're hoping that they will come back and give, you know. And, and so isn't that a more sustaining uh, model for, yes. for what, you are th- what you're doing? Right. So to push your... Your analogy there, uh, instead of teaching them, um, you know, giving them a fish, teaching them how to fish, but actually giving them a pond <laughs> so that they can then teach others how to fish. So that's a, that's what we're trying to do. I mean, the impact is about, at least the vision is about providing for the immediate need of the person, giving them an opportunity to get themselves in a place to where they can they can fish for themselves. But then they begin to create their own pond so that they can teach others to fish. I think that is certainly the vision, the impact that we have uh, as a coalition. That's even my own personal you know, vision for me is, is that if I'm going to touch somebody, I'm just not going to give them something. I'm going to empower them to actually thrive in it and then carry it forward. Wow, I we're gonna talk about that because later you talked about mentors in your life, but with your, um, you, you being in front of so many people, it is important to generate community specific health data. Mm. And we do this by what you guys are doing, community engagement and community-based participatory research across the life course. Um, People need the peace of mind to even want to participate in anything beyond just survival. Why should and how could a minority person or a minority woman help research that is specific to her race and social conditions? Say that, ask that question again. So, so I was saying that, you know, with what you're doing with the churches, with the right. coalition, you are in front of a lot of data, as, as we say, in our field, you are exposed to a lot of community specific data. Right. And, you know, we, we do this by what you guys are doing, this huge community engagement and People that are supposed to participate in this research, they need the peace of mind because, like you said, they they just, you know, there's just basic survival first. You know, we right. need to eat to be able to have energy to even think about anything else. So, but why should you know um the minority people, the minority woman want to help research that is specific to her race yeah. and social conditions? Right. Very important. Very important. I think one of the things that happens with uh, particularly like clinical trials 
is that none of us participate for the right reasons. We just don't trust the healthcare system. Okay. That is just absolutely legit. And it's just what it is. And I, and to a certain extent, sometimes I don't even trust the healthcare system. So I understand, I understand why people would, would, would resist that. Um, We have a long history of it. Okay. And the harm that's been done and the harm that continues to happen. Right. Here's what I'll say though. There are some legit Black researchers that are actually trying to actually make impact. I mean, and I'm, I can say that I'm one of them. Okay. And I know that in order for me to make an impact on our community, we actually have to, this is what I would call prophetic, speak truth to power. And the way things are designed now is that science actually drives policy. Science drives decision-making. Science drives whether or not an organization wants to fund you. Fund your organization, get resources into community. That's all, that all has to do with science. People look at the data all the time. Now, is that the right approach? Maybe. Is it the best approach? Probably not. But that's the way it is. And so when I think about, you know, that woman that is very leery and participating in this work, I want to say to her that the first thing you should do is don't do anything unless you trust the person. And a lot of times a good researcher, a good scientist will get involved in the community without any intention on doing research. They would just try to build a relationship and they would stick around for years. That's certainly what I've done. Before I even asked a question of the community in research, I made sure that I attended these community gatherings at six, seven o'clock in the evening. I made sure that whatever their, their immediate need was that I I dealt with that first. I did that for three years before even mentioning science because I wanted to build a relationship and build that trust. The second thing is I would urge that folks actually participate in these types of studies where they see themselves. So you have black researchers. I think that's very important. Now, not everybody is is your skin your kind. So there are some that they won't take the approach of getting to know you to getting to know the community. But there are those that have, you know, made sure that they do right by society because they understand the harms that science has done, and those that actually just want to do right. And so it's about making sure that researcher. Tr- has established trust within the community that they are actually driving the science and they're not being influenced by some other, (laughs) but they're actually, they're actually doing the science. I think it's very important. And then most of the times, if those two things are in order, then the science actually will speak for themselves, for itself, that it would be done the right way. And so I think that it's important for us to 
join in on these clinical trials because that is what, again, that is what drives funding. That is what drives decision-making. That is what creates these medications. And there's some, you, there's some things that are unique to our community that we need to know about as scientists. And that's why we should get involved in things like clinical trials. Now, I'm running a clinical trial now that is, has been designed and implemented by Black researchers who want to do right by society that have taken the time to ensure that every single need is met in the community, every single participant, that we're just not focusing in on the actual study itself, but every other thing, those needs, even if we can't take care of those needs, at least we we have a listening ear. So I think, you know, those things are important. And because if this um, study that I'm working on, if it comes to fruition, it will be for us. So all the solutions, all of the, the answers to some of the questions that we've asked, we can say it is definitively, you know, this is sort of the, the black voice. That's why I say it's prophetic because this will enable us to speak to the power and say, this is what we need. That when we're talking about obesity, when we're talking about diabetes, when we talk about cardiovascular health, it's not about just diet and exercise, but it is financial stress that we should put policy towards. And that is big. That's huge because it shifts sort of where funds go, where resources are. So, you know, I encourage anybody that's you know on the fence just to learn about clinical trials, but just be watchful. Just make sure that researcher is a type that is actually for the community, that's not driving in with his or her research but they are legitimately trying to 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 get this get our community on the right track. Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, you know, you did not grow up with many advantages or very many opportunities as far as school was concerned. You worked with so many mentors of whom you always give much recognition to. Mentors that you believe prepared you for not only college but for life. From these relationships, you acquired skill sets you would need for life. Things like making or writing a resume and applying for colleges and for jobs. To the mentee and the mentor out there, what is an important life message you would like to confer? If your audience doesn't get anything else that I've said, this is most important to me. There's nothing in life that you can get through or to without some assistance, without help, without mentors. It's very important. What I do is I have a board of directors. <laughs> so my mentors are not just folks that are necessarily in my field, but they're even outside of my field. My mentors don't have a particular age, but it's a variety of ages. And one of the important things about establishing a board of mentors, a board of directors, if you will, is that you as a mentee have to do the work. That means that if you ask someone to actually mentor you, that means that you're actually asking them to give of their time, to give you advice, to give you guidance, to uh, spend some time with you to give you opportunities. So that means it requires one to be loyal. It requires one to 
actually do more for that mentor <laughs> that they actually, or at least try to do more than they actually do to you. I've had an exceptional life full of really good mentors. And there are those that I know that have had what they call tormentors, but you need to have a really good mentor. And that's a type of mentor that's going to, that's going to take you to that next phase in your life. And you may not stay with that mentor throughout the duration of your life, but Sometimes mentors are lifelong. Sometimes mentors are meant for a season. But in every single aspect of your life, no matter how long a mentor has been with you, you always have to work to do right by them. So I have a mentor that was a mentor when I grew up as a young boy in Arkansas. Now, there's a lot of things that they just cannot share with me now. Uh, but they are the reason why I'm here. And so what I do is I simply go back to them and give what I can, whether it be a card to say thank you, whether it be if they need something. And if I'm privileged enough to have get an award or, or achieve something, I'm always making sure that they're privy of it. So as a mentee, it requires a lot of work on your end to ensure that, first of all, you stay loyal to the person that has, has provided all these opportunities for you and that you maintain this relationship, that you strengthen it, that it is it never dies down. It may stop for a season, but it, it still should be a relationship that one nurtures. Now, I have a mentor currently who happens to be the on the one of the only living student now that had that was taught by Martin Luther King Jr. and his only class taught at Morehouse. He's my pastor. Now he's called about five times since we've been on this podcast. <laughs> because why has he done that? Because first of all, I'm very loyal to him. Okay. I respect him. Anytime he needs something of me. I do my best to do it, even if I don't have the time or the space. And I lift him up because every single opportunity that I've had in San Francisco was because of him. I don't burn my bridges. You never see me talk bad about him in private or in public. OK, always lifting him up. And this man is 80, 82 years old now. Right. He's lived a life that is rich, actually. And now I have the honor of being his mentee right now in his, what they call evenings of life, where he's most wise. And so what I would say is, if there's anything that you want to take away from this conversation, is that you ought to seek out mentors, those that are in positions of authority, those that are not. Because I've had mentors who were janitors that used to clean my office that I would stay just to get their wisdom. Or I would have that mother and my church who had a sixth grade education, but was wise, who I consider my mentor. And so I think that you cannot get anywhere in life 
without having someone to help propel you to that next level, only for you to get to that point and bring somebody else up further up than you. So that is, if I had anything else to say, I wouldn't say it because that's exactly what I would want to say is that we don't get this far alone, that we always need somebody with us to carry us. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just moved to tears. Um, you know, the, my current podcast episode that is running, uh, the, the guest is the surgeon that gave me this couple for which I did my first surgery. So I totally am there with you uh, with that. And, you know, going on to the next thing I wanted to ask, you know, it is important to you, Dr. Butler, of the courage, not only of taking risks and putting yourself out there, but also the importance of talking to people, you know, and you are such an eloquent speaker, yet you describe yourself as an introvert. Absolutely. How do we reconcile <laughs> these seemingly divergent personalities? Yes. Okay. So yes, I'm an introvert to the T. So I would rather be alone in my house in a corner, etc. However, my calling, my gift requires me to get outside of my shell. Okay? And that was developed. So when I you go back to your first question. My mom used to take me to Sunday school every single Sunday. And every single Sunday, my introverted, shy self had to get up and I had to pray to the congregation. And then eventually when I got older, I became what they had, the youth superintendent of Sunday school. So I had to actually not only pray, but run the entire Sunday school um, session. And I kept doing that, hated it. I mean, I would dread it every single Sunday. Third Sundays, I would have to lead the entire Sunday school. And lo and behold, I became very comfortable speaking in public. I became, I've been, I was able to then, you know, turn it off, turn it on. So every time I would lead the Sunday school, I would go home and hide <laughs> and get into a place so I could just retreat back to my introverted personality. But then when there was an opportunity for me to speak, I would speak and then I would go hide. And to this day, today I did a sermon and I spoke and then I went back to retreat and hide. <laughs> so I think that one of the things that I learned in that is that there are some things that God has called us all to do that requires us to get outside of our box and do it. And God will give to us everything that we need to be, impact, be effective and impactful uh, for folks. And that's exactly what he's done to me. A lot of people have fear of speaking, okay? I don't have a fear of speaking. <laughs> I don't get butterflies. It's because, first of all, I had a God who had a plan. And then I had a church, a family, a men mentors who helped to develop that plan, to shape that plan. 
So for example, my mentor here in San Francisco, that 83 year old, I first got to San Francisco within three months, he had me speaking on the city hall steps <laughs> about a health topic to a crowd of folks and I was on TV. <laughs> and obviously that was one of the times I was really nervous. But because I had that experience in Sunday school, I was able to be prepared to show up and utilize my God-given gift. And so it really is about, again, having the right mentors, being nurtured, not doing this thing in isolation, but have some people, especially mentors, to kind of actually push you out and understand that they actually can see your potential more than you can. And that with every opportunity that they, they give you, you do your best, you learn from it, you grow from it. The next opportunity, you do your best, you grow, you learn from it, and you just keep on keeping on. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's how it is. So you, an introvert can be an extrovert when they have to. <laughs> wow. Wow. And you love going to the gym. I mean, you're a yeah. gym goer. What is your favorite, um, I guess, section of the gym or, yes. or exercise routine that you do? Yes. So I go to, I go, I work out every day. And the reason why I work out is obviously because I have a lot of them, a lot on my plate. And I realize that there is benefit to going to work out to relieve stress, to clear your mind, to help with, especially your mental health. The reason why I go work out is because I've seen so many of my mentors that did not work out. And as a consequence, they've gone through depression, they've gone through health challenges. And I just learned from that and said, listen, I'm going to work out. And so that's what's motivated me to work out, working out every day. And I tend to lift weights because I mentally see myself take the weight off of the entire day as I'm lifting. And it really mentally prepares me for the next day to give me strength to carry another load. And I, again, every single day, it doesn't matter if it's five minutes to one hour, I make the the, the um, intention on going in and doing something. And that alone sort of helps to relieve a lot of the, the stress that we all experience. Um, so, yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, as a consequence, I, I do have, you know, I got some muscles here and there. <laughs> and that comes with it. But the really the driver is that in order for me to be effective in the community, I have to make sure that I take care of myself. And if I'm going to preach it, I certainly need to do it. I need to act it. So, You know, as we close, there are two uh, more things I want to touch out on here. Um, you mentioned before that you uh you 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 are a co-chair of the sugary drinks distributor tax advisory committee sddtac and you make funding recommendations that support services and other innovative community-led work to decrease sugary beverage consumption and the related chronic disease. 
And according to the San Francisco Food Security Task Force 2018 report, 50% of low-income residents were food insecure. Additionally, 23 to 30% of Black, African, American, and Latinx pregnant women were food insecure. And as we have seen in middle Georgia, where I, I am, and my foundation is also an active agency of the middle Georgia Food Bank, you postulated that the prevalence of food insecurity for San Franciscans could double as many uh, of your as, as many of your residents are becoming underemployed, unemployed, or unable to afford food for their families. Right. What are the all the ways food security can be increased for our priority populations, especially pregnant women within minority communities? Right. Such a, a great question. And, you know, this is such, I mean, near and dear to my heart. It just, it baffles me that so many people are hungry, especially as I've been doing this work during the pandemic, I realized how much food is wasted. And so it's just, it's for me, it's a simple solution is that we have resources. We have more food than we can imagine. We have more quality food than we can imagine. It just needs to get to the people. And one of the reasons why it doesn't get to the people is because in our most impoverished neighborhoods, you rarely see a grocery store. And if there is a grocery store, it's not quality food. It's not fresh vegetables. It baffles me. So one of the things that we're doing in San Francisco is creating a food market to where fresh food is free, that people can go in and get what they need. And that's something that we will start within the next year. But how hard is that, especially our our most vulnerable, the ones who those seniors who have to take their medication and need the proper food in order for that medication to work? How hard is it if, if we just give them the food that they need, especially when there is an overabundance of produce and um, there is just a plethora of, of, of food that has been wasted from our grocery stores? Every single Saturday, Whole Foods provides my church with tons of food. And that's just one organization because of the fact that they um, need to get rid of it. (laughs) So I think that a really common solution is cities just need to begin to think about what it means to actually serve the people and do the right thing. And if we be honest with ourselves, there is just too many uh, resources out there. There's too much food out there for us to have to charge folks that cannot provide uh, the funds for food. I mean, it's just a it just baffles me that we're as this type of country would rather throw away boxes of produce because we can't sell it when there are people that. There are families that I even know that are families of seven 
And one day we opened their refrigerator and all we saw was an eggplant in their refrigerator to feed them. And what did we do? We got the food for free. <laughs> I mean, the pandemic has shown us that you can provide free food to tons of people that it did not require one to purchase. And if we can just own up to the fact that we're greedy as a society, that we are in this capitalist system, just trying to take, take, take and not give, we, we own up to that. I think cities will be in a better position to realize that you don't have to, you don't have to charge a, a, a 50 cents for a banana when you got bananas you're throwing away. <laughs> it's just a simple, simple thing. And I think because of a system that we live in that is always thinking about taking a what I can profit, we'll never get to a place where we'll just give to people need just because it's morally the right thing to do. You know, you have won so many awards and so many honors, including the uh, UCSF 2019 Chancellor Award for Public Service. I mean, I just see how you you win these awards. I see, you know, where your heart really is. And, you know, you talk about it taking a village in this case of faith, city, nonprofit leaders, um, you know, of San Francisco working together. And you talked about the coalition. And, um, you know, I just want to, you know, recognize what you're doing because we are in that space a little bit, not to the extent uh, that you guys are in it and it's hard work and you are making it happen. And just the concept of free, fresh produce to people that need it in America is just, um, it, it looks simple. It, it seems like, why haven't we been doing this? But yet you guys are making it happen. So I just want to definitely thank you for that. And, you know, as we close, you, you do have a weekly lecture series, uh, the Continuing the Science in Action weekly lecture series. Can you, as we close, just tell us what that is? What that is? Well, I, this was during the pandemic, so a lot has <laughs> slowed down now. Um, but I think what needed to happen was, especially around COVID-19, was education. So I spent a lot of time talking with groups about the vaccinations, uh, about the importance of testing, the importance of wearing the mask properly, et cetera. Uh, but now, I, as a minister, I use that platform to talk about, obviously, you know, spirituality, but also about health and society as well. So I merge those things every single Sunday at my church um, to provide, again, folks with a holistic view of health that I think is so important. So I, I think that one of the things that I've learned in my life is that if you ever want to get somewhere with the people, you have to raise their consciousness. So it really starts with conscious raising or, or education. And then once you get people on this, you know, track on, on learning and, and getting that information, then you can help them to imagine a world that they would like to live on that's currently different from their struggle now. 
And once you envision that world, then you can help to guide people through a strategy on how to get there. But it definitely first starts with conscious racing. And I do a lot of that um, conscious racing that everybody from the little child to the senior has to be on this continuum of learning and understanding what's in society. So the sermon that I preach today is that if you see something, say something. <laughs> so And so I help to let people know that there are things in society that we need to open our eyes to. In San Francisco, we've talked about um, where we have our reparations uh, committee and it's the first of its kind, especially a large city, but we have to see what were the wrongs that were made against um, the black people in San Francisco and say something about it. But more importantly, what are we going to do about it? And so I think that, you know, the lecture series is really about raising one's consciousness so they can see why they're struggling. Because a lot of times people will struggle and not, not know that it's, it's not you. It's really the system <laughs> that's perpetuating this. And so if you raise their conscious, then you say, well, you don't like where you are now. What, it, what would society look like if you, you had you know, your way with things? And then let's create a strategy to get us to that point. So that's, that's what this education piece is about. It's about ultimately getting to a strategy uh, or implementing a strategy to get to a place where the community wants to be. Did you have any questions for me, Dr. Dr. Butler? I'm just so amazed. <laughs> I got plenty of questions for a lot of time. I'm just That's amazed time. by the, the work and I'm really, you know, interested in, you know, your work as, you know, in maternal health and how, you know, you look at it from your lens in terms of it's starting from that pregnant woman. I think a lot of times when we think about health, that's one of the areas that we actually neglect in terms of how that person's life is impacted by that very moment when they're in the womb. And so, you know, it'd be nice to, in, a, in another setting, in you know, continue to, to, to learn about, you know, your perspective around that, because it's really something that I try to get more information about because it's not my area, but I know how important it is. Yeah, thank you. It will be another session, but thank you. This has just been very much thought-provoking. I mean, you are just a master at what you do, and you you come with so much experience and knowledge. I mean, you've you you've been out there in the community. This is first-hand knowledge of everything that you're talking about. So, you know, we I'm very grateful to you for sharing your personal experiences for the for the science, you know, for the ministry. And I'm actually going to ask you to, to close with a prayer, you know, Absolutely. just, you know, because I, I'm just so grateful, so amazed at what you do. And mm. I know it's a lot of hard work and I know you've won a lot of awards. And, um, you know, I just pray that God continues to bless you because more than the awards and the honors, it's just, you know, God's blessing. So Dr. Jonathan Z. Butler, can you close this podcast with a prayer? Absolutely. And this is for every listener that is able to listen to this podcast. We just thank God for you. We thank God that 
God, you are our, our help in ages past, that you are our hope for years to come, that in spite of all of the challenges that we have had to face in our lives, we can still say thank you. Thank you for giving to us life, to giving to us your grace and your mercy. We depend on you so much for our strength. And we declare that as we wait on the things that we are hoping for, that our strength will be renewed, that we will mount upon wings like an eagle, that we will run and not grow weary, and we will walk and not faint. We thank you, O oh God, for what is to come. We ask that you would go before us on our journey, but be beside us. Help us to know that you will never leave us, nor will you forsake us. Be behind us and protect us from our even our backstabbers. Help us to be strong and create, courageous throughout the weeks. And we pray for those who are listening, that they will develop love, joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, all of those fruits of the Spirit. Help them to put aside everything that weighs them down, but let them run the race of life, the race of their careers, the race of, of raising up a child with patience and endurance, looking to you, O oh God, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And so we ask, oh God, that every move that we make, every step that we take, every breath that we breathe, every thought, little thought that we think, every sound that we hear, we pray, oh God, that it will be blessed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, what a blessing. What a blessing. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Dr. Butler, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation.